0: Advent has started. It's December 3rd. How many of you are busy? Raise your hand if you're busy yet. How many of you have a list that is coming that is going to make you very busy? Raise your hand for that one. Yes. (laughs) I shopping yesterday. I went to Home Depot, the Home Depot. I'm you pronounce the T there if you're bougie. No, I went to the Home Depot and we were buying uh, Christmas decorations for outside. The Christmas decorations that we had did not survive the move to our new house and so we had to replace those. Do you know how expensive Christmas lights are? They are very expensive, everyone. Just look at me in faces of shocked horror and a along so that I know that I have the sympathy of you all of how expensive those things are. Yeah, they're crazy, right? Thank you very much. My world's smallest violin. But what I was struck by was not so much the insane cost of Christmas lights, but was the crowds. Already, Home Depot was full of people. I'm like, what is everyone doing? Home decor? No, they're all decorating their homes with Christmas lights. Exactly. And then I drove by Target. Nope. Don't, 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 don't go in there. And the Target's all full of all full of folks there. Just lots of people out on the road. Crazy time of year. This is the time of year where we as a people do a great job at keeping busy, and even us as a church. And maybe I need to repent because we just went through all the announcements of all the things that can happen this Advent season right here at this church. And of course, our hope, our desire for that is that you take a part of that, those events wherever you can, just to enrich in your Advent time, to grow closer to Christ. All those things are pointing us back to the Lord. Amen but at the end of the day, it's just another thing to add to the to-do list for, some of, some of, for all of us, really. And so, what do we do then? What's the solution? Do we stop events? Do we not go shopping? Do we not make lists of things to do? Do we not decorate? Do we not have events as a church? It all seems very weird and probably too drastic to do all those things because all those things, you know, they're fun, and Christmas is a fun time of year, and there is uh, an air of, of of special adoration that is permeating through the season because of all the lights and the festivities. But, and God can use those things to bring us closer to Him. So I don't think a full cessation of all those things, period, the end, is the answer. But maybe we definitely need to rethink and reprioritize our rhythms. What I mean by rhythms are actions in life, our daily life of things that we do. And during the Advent season, I think this is a good time to really have this conversation. Advent, we want to go over the gift of rest. And the tagline is experiencing Sabbath through Advent. I want to refocus. I want to reclaim, demystify this word Sabbath, an ancient practice that is a commandment, by the way, it's in the commandments, an ancient practice that has kind of gone to the wayside a little bit in terms of what people think and understand it. A lot of people have a misunderstanding of Sabbath. They think this is where you go into your home for a day, you don't drive, you don't turn on the TV, you take your Bible and you meditate and hit it across, your, I don't know what it is, you know, you do, you just don't, you just don't do anything. And I don't think that's quite exactly what what is intended here in Sabbath and definitely not what what I think would bring us to a deeper understanding of hope, peace, joy, and love, the things that we are talking about this Advent season. As we look at this Advent year, I want to lead us into a deeper, distru- deeper discussion of the practices of Sabbath, how we can have a rhythm of Sabbath within our weekly lives this Christmas season and experiencing the gift of God's rest as a holy time, that we keep this time separated, holy, and sanctified, meaning we don't let anything touch it, and this is a time for us and the Lord. And in order to do that, we have to kind of talk about what is Sabbath and debunk some of the myths. And so in order for me to do that, I got to bring us back all the way to the beginning. Everyone say, oh, yay. All right. Yes. Y'all may have heard the story of creation before. How many days did God create things? Six. And then on the seventh day, he rested very good in those 6 days he created everything light and land and water and animals and humans and gave them all things to do they all had their purposes they all had their meaning they all lived in harmony with one another on the 7th day he rests 7 in the number of uh, as a number in hebrew theology and literature is a number of completion, meaning everything has now been made whole. And God resting on that seventh day does not mean that God needed to kick back on a lazy boy, put his legs up and say, I am tired. That is not what is happening. What he is doing is he is seated with his creation. He is indwelling with them in person and in presence so that all of creation, humanity, animals, land, everything knows who is the king who is the creator, who is the provider. That's what it means for that seventh day he rested, and everything was good. Everything that he created was absolutely wonderful. As I said, purpose, harmony, they all had jobs to do. But then everything went bad. Everyone knows this part of the story, right? Sunday School 101, everything goes bad. What happens? Adam and Eve on what it feels like, though, I'm not a, a Hebrew scholar, but as I look at the creation story, it's the seventh day, and then we immediately go into the fall of man. And so, I mean, is this at the time where God is resting with them that man and woman have a boo-boo? Where the serpent deceives them and they break this goodness, they break this harmony. There is a separation between us and the Lord. And how do they do that? Don't miss it. This is very important to the creation story. How they did it is they they sought to be God themselves. They listened to the serpent who said, the tree is good for knowledge so that you can be like God. And they thought, yeah, let's do that. And that has set us up even to this day. Every time that we sin against the Lord, big or small, No matter what it is, we are saying to God, I'm God and you're not. We are saying, I've got this, you don't. And it all goes back to this creation story where everything just kind of went to pot here. And the result is enslavement, enslavement and brokenness. We are enslaved to this world, we are in disharmony. Everything is working against each other. The land, the animals are all against humanity now. Even humans are against each other, the way that the Bible describes how man and women or women are going to interact with each other. There's this uh, power struggle that can really kind of play out for all of humanity, not only between the genders, but also between socioeconomic status, racial, all the things. This is where this all begins. This 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 division, this strife. And of course, ultimately a separation from God, from that indwelling, in-person presence that he had with humanity. Now, our God is a God of redemption and grace. Amen. And that He works to set out right from the beginning a plan of redemption to set up a people who will be called His people. That's through Abraham and Isaac. You'll have descendants and they will be my people. And then through Moses, He hands down the Ten Commandments. And those Ten Commandments are ways for the people of God to not only know what God thinks is righteous and good, but also for them to live out so that they can live in the promises of God. And that also, don't miss this, others would know who God is. When we live out the Ten Commandments as faithfully as we can, we are reflections of the one true God. All through the Old Testament, God says, and the people will know that I am your God. That's what is happening there. So God works this redemption. He sends down these Ten Commandments. And one of the things in those Ten Commandments is to continue to keep that Sabbath practice, that seventh day where there is a rest, where there is a cessation of work, where you basically step into the trust and the assurance to dwell in the presence of the Creator. Even when Israel was exiled all over the lands, they still had this mandate to keep the Sabbath so that they could experience and know their true God, even scattered as they were. Practicing Sabbath helps us understand the work and the gifts of the Spirit so that we would experience what it looks like when and where Jesus is King, where He is Lord. Taking some time away, time apart of your busy week, laying all that down just to be with God allows us to experience true kingdom realities, the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, to experience that here and now in the presence of our God, where true hope and true peace and true joy and love can be felt and have it build and strengthen our faith and devotion to God as well as our love for each other. To take some time and guard it and set it apart and rest as if we are in the promised land with Christ right now. That's how important this is. It's not an Old Testament thing. It is a thing that God continues to institute throughout the Old Testament and then in through Jesus himself. Jesus, who says to at the start of his ministry, says, I am the Lord of the sabbath. He goes into the into the temple on sabbath day and proclaims that the year of the Lord's favor has begun and it is upon him. And all the things that he is doing the healing of the blind, the healing of the sick, all that all that stuff is coming to signify this is the year of the Lord's favor where all debts are paid, where all anything that is holding each other down, that has all been set free. It's coming through Jesus, and that's why he bids us all to do this, to come to him, all weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. That rest is found in coming to Jesus. An intentional time in our busy weeks that we say, nothing's gonna touch this time. It's gonna be me And the Lord. So when we experience the gift of rest, it's taking that intentional time to come to Jesus, to sit in and dwell in his presence, to make holy a time in our week where the trappings and the toils of this season do not have lordship over us. Because not only do we seek to be our own gods, we also seek to let other things rule our lives. And that can very much happen in the Christmas season the desire, the hope for a perfect Christmas night, for that dinner that's going to be wonderful and everyone's going to say, oh, how delicious, for the perfect present that you get or that you give. I mean, things can definitely take the place of the lordship of our God in this time. So let's take some time to rest. Let's carve some time out to truly know and believe and realize his kingship over the world and over our lives and reflect that truth to others so that they will know too. Today... Alex and Elise lit the candle of hope for the first Sunday of Advent. And the questions that I want us to consider as we dive into our series this, this morning is how can we be better reflections of true biblical hope? True biblical hope. And what are some ways to practice Sabbath rest in order to experience that true biblical hope? You all ready for this? You excited? See excited faces? Let's dive in. Let's dive in. We're going to look at, uh, at a story uh, of Mary. The first story, the Annunciation, the, the where Mary is visited by an angel, and the angel then tells her all the things that are going to happen about whom the child that she is carrying, how important this is going to be, how important the child is going to be. We're going to see in her reactions and her actions afterwards how How having a Sabbath time, a time where it's totally devoted to the Lord, can totally influence your life and how you react to things, okay? So let's dive in. Luke 1, 26 through 38. Love for you to open up the Bibles there to page 1016 or 1017. They're in the back of the pews if you'd like. Open up your phone or your own. We're going to look here at Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. Here's the story of what happened to Mary. Verse 26, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one. If you have your own Bibles, I'd have you circle O favored. If you've been here before, we've talked about this a little bit before. That O favored means God has bestowed, He has chosen Mary, and she is a recipient and a willing recipient of all the things uh, uh, that He has of grace. She is ready and willing by God's selection and choosing to receive this grace and to do what He is calling her to do. Greetings, our favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what the greeting might be. And that greatly troubled is not a a, a lapse of faith or doubt from Mary here. That, That time of troubling here is because there's an angel standing in front of her and talking to her and that's rather troubling sometimes. And so she's like, okay, what does all this mean? And behold, he says, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be? Circle will. How will this be since I'm a virgin? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Look at how Mary reacts to the creation activity of God. And we're going to see in her, just in her movements, some lessons for us that we can take when we try to set out to have some Sabbath rest with God. Mary's not practicing Sabbath right now, okay? But, but, she is going to be holding the very presence, the very person of the Lord Jesus Christ. She is a walking example of Sabbath. And we're gonna see in her reactions things that we can take and do when we set aside some time to be in the presence and in the person of Jesus Christ. Look at the, fir- look at the thing that she says down in verse 38. This, her statement here completely describes her posture in receiving and responding to the lordship of God. She says, I am the servant of the Lord. And that word servant is a Greek word that means slave. So the English kind of reduces it down just a little bit. Servant's nice. It's a nice word. And servant, you can be a good, trusty servant. But the Greek word here is doula, which means slave, a female slave. And the understanding with this word is that it signifies total belonging and submission. And it's an active, a total active longing and submission to the lordship of God. Mary is rightly choosing to loosen the slavery to sin that the brokenness of the Garden of Eden has brought upon us. We enslave ourselves to idols. She's loosening those things, loosening that in the world, and submitting herself now to the slavery of the Lord as an active servant. And I think that she does this out of pure hope and expectation. Today is the Sunday of hope. What true biblical hope means. Now, don't miss this. So, true biblical hope means is that we are assured that God is going to do what He says He is going to do, as if it's already happened or it's going to happen at some point in the future. There's no room for, it might happen, maybe if He has time, uh, you know, there's none of that. It is a true assurance that God is going to do what he is going to do. That candle, that candle of hope signifies an end to the time when the Old Testament ends and the New Testament begins, that span, those centuries of time where the people were just lost in darkness. And the one thing that they held on to was the hope of their prophets that a Messiah would come and an expectation that he would arrive. Mary's response, I am a servant of the Lord, I think comes out of her true understanding of kingdom biblical hope. Notice before she asked the angel of, of what was going to... Notice what she asked of the angel. She says to the, to the angel Gabriel, how will it be done? And I had you circle the word will. And that's important. See, before this story, there's Zechariah, who's uh, John the Baptist's daddy. And an angel comes to, to Zechariah as well, just like to Mary, and an angel says to Zechariah, your wife is going to have a child, just like he says to Mary, but only you're going to have a child. And Zechariah's response to the angel is all about, oh, this, is, this can't happen. There's no way. I'm old. My wife is barren. This, uh, how is this going to happen? And the focus of his question is all on his own abilities of what he can or cannot do. Remember Lordship, he's, he's in the power seat here. This can't happen. God can't do that. Mary's question is different. She says, how will this be? How will this happen? In a full hope and expectation that it's going to happen, she just doesn't quite know how, that's, how the dots are going to get connected here. It's a very, very powerful statement. Mary's posture demonstrates a different heart, a heart that we can have if we would just take some time in our busy weeks to really sit and dwell with the Lord. There is true hope here and that God will see it through, and she gets us most likely from the spirit of the Lord resting upon her, has to be, and understanding what it truly means to be favored by God. Don't ever forget, my friends, you too are favored by God, recipients of God's grace. Let's not forget that and let it empower our actions, our reactions, our desire to be with Him. Let it be to me according to your word is the second thing that she says in that phrase. Let it be to me according to your word. Let it be done in me. This is a Sabbath-keeping posture that all of us can follow, my friends. Let God's word be true and faithful in my life. It's a reaction of trust and truly sitting with and in the truth of God's word, no matter the consequences. Mary says, let it be done to me. She is an unwed woman, probably teenager at the time, and she is going to boldly step into this situation where a major ridicule is going to befall her, the whispers, the gossip, the things that are going to happen. Let it be to me according to your word. Look at that posture of truth and of trust. She's experiencing true kingdom hope because of her guiding presence with the Lord. We can experience that same thing let the craziness of the world fall silent just for some time and experience the word of the Lord. And maybe boldly, just maybe, we would say, oh God, let it be done to me according to your word. The whole story here of Mary's annunciation, as they call it, is very, very powerful It's very powerful, and that's why I attach it to this whole idea of Sabbath keeping, too. Is because here in this story, we need to see the signaling of a new creation that's coming through Jesus, where God is now undoing, beginning to undo the effects of Eden. Just as Eve disobeyed, Mary obeys. You need to see the parallel between the two. Mary is undoing the things that have happened that have happened on the course of, of Eve's disobedience and Adam's. And then Jesus coming through Mary is the new Adam, the perfect human who can now undo the things that Adam has done, loosen and break the chains of that slavery to the world. And then look at the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's present too has it overshadows Mary Is the same idea of the Holy Spirit hovering over the void of the earth before God utters, let there be light. And there's no, there's no coincidence that it's let there be light and that the new, all the New Testament gospel writers refer to Jesus as the light. The light, bright light shone around the shepherds. Light has come into this world from the Gospel of John. Jesus, in Christ's coming, we have a new creation where the truest effects of Sabbath can and must be realized. This is the year of Jubilee, where all debts are forgiven equal playing field for everyone, land receive its rest from all the toils and troubles, and we can know truly who the Lord is. And we can realize this now because of Christ. We can go to Him at any time. It does not have to be confined to a Saturday. At any time, you can go to Him and practice this this Sabbath rest where you carve it out and say, this intentional time is going to be for the Lord. Carrie and I have tried, and we are still trying. And we're not perfect at this. Our Sabbath rest is Thursday night from 6 on to Friday at 6. And we start it off as best as we can with a prayer with the kids so that they understand what it is that we are doing. We try to not have any uh, ministry work. No offense to you all, but of course, sometimes that doesn't happen, and you have, you have to boldly step in. But we try to keep those things separated and off so that we can remember why it is we're in these positions, why we have children, why we want to order our lives after the Lordship of Christ. If everything is so busy and so scheduled and so stacked upon each other, we can't do it. We can't take this time. We're subjecting our, our hearts and our lives to the enslavement of worldly things. And therefore, cannot rely on the power of God alone. We become like Zechariah and look at our own capabilities and either get frustrated when we don't match up or try to usurp God and just batter our way through life. And it doesn't work either way. We can realize this Sabbath time now. We can realize the posture of Mary of let it be done to me according to your word. So how does Mary's reactions influence now her heart as she goes on? She shows us this great posture of receiving, this great posture of submission and obedience, and this great posture of hopeful expectations. Let it be done, oh God. Let it be done to me. So then how does this show up now as she goes about her life? Well, Luke gives us the next interaction. She goes on to see Elizabeth, her kinsman, who the angel said is pregnant. And she goes to Elizabeth, and, and, and she's got a womb, I guess, with Jesus in it. I don't know how much she's showing. Elizabeth's in her six months, so she's probably showing a little bit. And they come together, and, and the babies do some jumping jacks inside each other's wombs, right? And it's just this great ex- experience. And Elizabeth is just shocked. And she says, what, how, why, how am I blessed that the mother of my Lord should approach me? And she looks at Mary, and listen to what she says about Mary. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Elizabeth rightly sees that Mary is reflecting true biblical hope. And Mary's response back is the song of praise called the Magnificat. Listen to her response, listen to how her life's rhythms have been affected by coming into our presence coming into the presence of the Lord. She says my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my savior for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant for behold from now on all generations will call me blessed for he who is mighty has done has done great things for me and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear. And from generation to generation, he has shown, has shown strength with his arm, and has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, Abraham, and to his offspring forever. This is before Jesus is even born. And listen to all the past tense language she's saying. The Lord has done this. What a great sign of expectation and hope that God is going to do what he said he is going to do. And it's obviously empowered by her true understanding of kingdom hope. Mary is a tangible example of what it means to rest with and dwell with the person and spirit of Jesus Christ, Lord of all creation, Lord of the Sabbath, and King of the world. O oh, church, that we this season may cry out as Mary has done and say, God, let it be done to me according to your word and truly mean it. Because that's the kicker. Do we truly mean it when we read a story like this, when we pray the words, oh God, let it be done to me according to your word. If you're like me, there are seasons where I do mean it and there are seasons where I probably don't mean it. God, let it be done to me according to your word so long as it fits my agenda. God, let it be done to me according to your word so long as it fits in my time frame so long as I can be the one who can take the credit and look like the great somebody. Let it be done to me, O Lord, according to your word, only if. These are all actions of idol worship, and they are all actions that come from the disharmony of when everything went bad. The commandment to keep the the Sabbath holy is the fourth one. The first three all deal with, with God being Lord. Lord God, don't take his name in vain, don't worship idols. And then the fourth one is to keep the Sabbath. Why? To understand the first three so that we don't lose the first three in our our busyness and in our work and our toils and our troubles. We don't miss that. Because when we miss that is when we enslave ourselves to the idols of this world. And so here we are now at Advent. A season, December is a month, where our dance cards can get filled with all sorts of stuff, all sorts of worries, all sorts of of pains, whatever it is. And what I want us to do, Jennifer and I would like us to do this Advent season as we go through hope, peace, joy, and love. These are gifts. These are gifts from the Spirit. Let's experience them as if the kingdom was here now. True hope, true peace, true joy, true love. And in order to do that, we encourage each and every one of you, find some time. You know, it don't even have to be a 24-hour period. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. He forgives us when we mess up, right? Just find some time weekly, weekly, to maybe do this first thing, to pray to the Lord your God and say, oh God, let whatever it is that you will be done to me according to your word. And oh God, let me mean it and let me desire it. Let's pray. Gracious Lord Jesus, I thank you for this gift. I thank you that in the fact that when humanity was completely against you, completely disobedient, totally just thwarting away all the things that that you have promised, all the goodness that you established so that we can be the great somebody's Lord. Thank you that you didn't leave us there. That you are a God who desires community and restoration and redemption. And that you put in the plans in place, the practices in place, that we can experience those kingdom things where everything is made right, we can experience those things even now. And so I pray for us as as a people, as a congregation, so that we can be good reflectors of the kingdom truths in our lives to others, that we would we would do exactly that, take some time and say the world can't interfere with this and fully trust and rely on you to provide all that we need in that time so that we can focus on you and know that you are King, Lord, Savior. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, everybody. Remember, biblical hope is the hope that fully trusts and expects God to do what he says he's going to do. And so be reflections of that to people. Give them the reason to ask you the question, why you have the hope that you have, so that they would know the lordship, the kingship, the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Let that be the gift that you give this Christmas season. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, all God's people said, amen. Have a great day, everybody.